Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody. This is Jeff Thomas, uh, your host for the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My co-hosts are uh, out of town. Uh, Jeff Rutt is uh, in Ukraine right now with Hope International, and uh, Alan Barnhart is hiking the Appalachian Trail. So uh, if you're close to that, go out there and say hello. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But he'll be back in three months. So there's that. Uh, Maybe two months. Uh, He's been out there for a while. So Anyway, thanks for joining us. I've got a special treat for you today. Andy Schoonover is with us from Austin, Texas. Andy runs a special kind of healthcare company that I'll have him tell you about that's crowdfunded, but I don't want to screw it up. So I'm going to let Andy tell you all about that. We met through Mike Shero at uh, C12, this Christian CEO group that we're both uh, members of. It's been a lot of fun getting to know Andy a little bit before this, and uh, you're in for a treat to hear his story. So Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, it's great having you. Andy, we generally start out with just some questions about kind of how you grew up. Where did you grow up? What was that like? What was your family like? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, St. Louis kid, Midwest. Uh, grew up in a, a Catholic family, one of five kids. So had to uh, eat quickly at the dinner table or you were going to get no food. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fast eater till this day. It drives my wife absolutely bonkers. It. But yeah, I grew up Catholic, kind of went through the elementary school, high school, Catholic school, all the way up until uh, up till university, ended up going to the University of Virginia for undergrad, kind of lost my faith a bit through college, as many do. Um, I was like, hey, these, this rule-based stuff is not that much fun when you're in college. And so I had my decade of wandering as I went to UVA, worked for a few years, went out to Stanford for uh, business school. And then uh, started a company, ran that company for a few years again in, in the Midwest. And, you know, it was a remote patient monitoring company. So we were doing monitoring folks with their blood pressure, their blood sugars, those types of things. So if you had diabetes and your blood sugar spiked, we would get involved and make sure that you didn't go to the hospital. So I um, spent a lot of time in my early to midlife in, in the Midwest, which I love, but I'm down and now in, in good old Texas where it's 107 degrees today. <laughs> well, that's true. We are recording this in the heat of the summer and uh, we're both in Texas. So we're, we're both suffering, but I, I think we're both in air conditioning, which is uh, helpful. But okay. Now I have to, for my, for our St. Louis listeners, for sure, I have to go back to St. Louis because I grew up in Kirkwood. Okay. Missouri. Yeah, I grew up in Florissant. There you go. And a uh, lot of, it's a pretty, uh, pretty big Catholic town. Okay. Good, so good did Catholic you go to one town. of the Catholic high schools? I actually moved out of St. Louis right before high school. So I didn't okay. make it into the high school, but I, I, I know the Midwest just, you know, first, thing, first time you meet somebody, Oh, what high school did you go to? It's, exactly. It's hilarious. It is hilarious. Exactly. I had a friend who I worked with at Morgan Stanley who uh, moved, he grew up in LA. I knew him from Houston. He moved to St. Louis for a few years to run an office there. And he goes, everybody kept asking me what high school I went to. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're trying but, to peg you cause you got all the little suburbs so they can sort sure. of figure out who you are. Right. Yeah. I grew up in Florissant, which, you know, 40 years ago was, is much different than it is today, but once oh, a sacred true. heart Catholic, Catholic there school go. there in, in Florissant, Missouri. So huge Cardinals fan, huge blues fan, 
now a Kansas City Chiefs fan because given they they took our Rams and our Cardinals from us over the last you know thirty years, I guess. But we've lost both two two football teams in in thirty years. So I'm a St. Louis kid at heart. I love it. All right, we'll we'll talk Cardinals offline. Uh, <laughs> my I've been living in Houston for uh, thirty plus years, and people can't believe I'm still a Ooh, Cardinals fan. But uh, you got to stay loyal, okay? You got to stay loyal. All right, so you get out of. Stanford. And now you, you talked about kind of getting into the healthcare thing. Mm-hmm. What drew you to that? Or how did that all happen? Yeah. So it's funny. When I was out in Stanford, kind of a, a funny story here. I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie, The Social Network? Yes. So there's a subplot in that movie where Eduardo, who's the co-founder of, of Facebook, needed to get, I forget, it was sixteen or $18,000 from his dad to pay for this house so that Zuckerberg can move his buddies from Boston to Silicon Valley. Well, the house that they rented in Silicon Valley was my house. It was between our first year and second year of business school. We all went and did our internships and Zuckerberg and his buddies stayed at our house that summer. So it's a pretty funny story. But I I say that to kind of illustrate the time it was in 2006. Google was taken off. Facebook was taken off. I wanted to do something a little bit different. So I went out and raised some money to buy actually a small company and bought a little company in, in Dayton, Ohio. And it started out being a, an I fallen and I can't get up company. So I'm sure you've seen those silly, you know, TV show. Oh, you click the button in the shower. And so we, we, uh, we bought a competitor to them. And so, you know, you looked at that company, right. And it's seniors, that demographic is growing. It was recurring revenue, it's healthcare. So up economy, down economy, healthcare typically does well. It just had all the characteristics of something that a newly minted MBA who didn't have an ounce of managerial experience could go in and, and try to run. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, we, we started off, I think, with 20 employees and man, the Lord just blessed it because we, we, we sold it uh, six and a half years later. And I think we had, I don't know, 300 FTEs or something like that. So it was a crazy, you know, what was the name of that ago. company? It was called VRI okay. um, out of Dayton, Ohio. Those. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. Okay, so you sell that. You, mm-hmm. It sounds like you did pretty well. Yep, went great. How old are you when you sell this thing? Oh, I'm 34. Have you been married yet? Well, the month after we sold the company, I got married. Okay. Um, the day we sold the company was negative 13 degrees in Ohio. <laughs> And I kind of joke, my wife is from Cincinnati. Um, we kind of joked that, you know, it was the day I realized that God did not intend for people to live in Ohio during the wintertime. So we're like, okay, we're going to move to Austin, Texas, because it's warm, it's entrepreneurial. I wanted to do something else entrepreneurial. So got married, moved to Texas. And we found out a couple months later that my wife got pregnant. So we were you know, overjoyed. I was, you know, in my mid thirties, got married a little bit later. So wanted to kind of start making that happen. And so, and then we found out 12 weeks later that our daughter had a fatal condition. So, you know, doctor walks in, says, unfortunately, you know, fatal condition, there's zero chance that she's going to survive. And so we suggest you terminate and try again. Oh my gosh. And, you know, as you can imagine, it was like, just it's the worst sorry, possible I get, news. I get, I get, Anybody who's worst possible news shows up, you get the checkups, you're always a little nervous. You're gonna, but mm. you know, most of the time that doesn't happen. So I can't even imagine getting that news and then being faced with that kind of decision. So man. yeah, yeah. And just given our faith, it was something that was like, no, you know, it's it, God gave us this life. We're gonna, you know, let this life 
look like whatever God intended it for to look like. Um, yeah. And so we named her Grace, which we thought mm-hmm. was a, just a fitting name. And Grace, you know, the doctor said she's not going to make it to birth. And so okay. she probably was going to be stillborn. She, you know, by God's grace, made it. Sorry, I get emotional. Oh, I can't um, imagine. And she lived for uh, 10 and a half hours before she passed away. And so, you know, it was, it was just one of those things where like, Lord, like, you know, how are you going to work this for good? You know, how are you going to Romans eight twenty eight this one for right. us? And, you know, through his just goodness and kindness, he did, you know, he really did. I mean, I don't feel like my wife and I have ever been, you know, closer to, to the Lord than, you know, the, the six months that we had her, you know, in Steph's womb and then for the 10 and a half hours afterwards. So it was just one of those incredible experiences that the, the Lord was just very, very kind to us. And so, you know, we kind of came away from that being like, like you said, Romans 8.28, you know, how are you going to work this for good? And we found out that 85% of those babies are terminated. And so, you know, we was like, you know, we found through the process is that they were terminated because people didn't feel like they had any other option. And so we started a, a nonprofit called caringtheterm.org, which walks alongside those families and gives them, you know, resources to help them, you know, actually, you know, allow that baby to be born, which we think is the right thing to do. And so caringtheterm.org has been around for now, I think, six years. We have about 3,000 families that hit the website every month looking for resources. And so it's just been such a blessing. And we know that you know hundreds of, of babies have been born as a result of caring to term. And so you know, we kind of joke that you know, Grace is with us for 10 and a half hours, but she's had you know, more impact than, than the majority of us you know, in our entire you know, lifetime. So pretty impactful, you know, early life uh, thing that happened to us that, you know, we look back now, it's been seven years. Actually, her, her birthday was two weeks ago. And we just think, man, like we we felt like she was such a blessing. Well, I'm so sorry uh, for your loss. But, you know, when I hear stories like that, what I kind of look for is they're so traumatic. There's kind of only two responses. You either run from God or you lean into him for comfort. Yeah, amen. And I'm so glad that you guys leaned in. And I I can only imagine the stress on a marriage as well with you both mourning that way. And that, the fact that you've able to turn it into something that honors grace uh, in that way and helps others is absolutely a uh, a beautiful thing. And, and, you know, it's easy for me to say because uh, I haven't gone through it, but, you know, Obviously, it's it's not the length of the life that matters, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the way God looks at it. She really had a very meaningful life, to your point. She's helping a lot of other people yeah. and just by being part of your family. So that's that is really beautiful. And I hope uh, I hope somebody's walking down the street right now who uh, might be facing that challenge that feels a little hope just to be able to go to that website. We'll make sure to uh, link to that website. In no, the, I appreciate uh, that. Thank you. Yeah. And we were blessed with two more girls since then. So Ava is five and Caroline is three. So we have two more girls. I'm a, I'm a girl dad. I guess that's <laughs> God wanted me to be a that's girl right. dad. And so, you know, I, I and, and you, you hit it right on the, the head. I mean, we moved to a new city. We had just gotten married and we lost our daughter all within a year, which, you know, the enemy just wanted to just hammer us. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it was spent the next couple of years just, you know, candidly fighting for our marriage because 
you know, one of the things I realized then is, is males and females tend to mourn very differently. And so we kind of had to work through that. And, and I'm glad we did because our marriage is stronger now than, than I think it would have been if we hadn't gone through some of those things. And so it was just uh, looking back as, you know, people think this is a crazy statement, but looking back, we just feel like we wouldn't have changed a thing. It was such a blessing to us, you know, and we miss her dearly, but it's, it is a blessing. Wow. Thanks for sharing that story. I just think, you know, we were talking earlier, you know, the importance of, you know, you've had a lot of success, but things are never up and to the right in a straight line. And I think kind of leading with the limp, frankly, and uh, how that, how you learn from that is just super important, uh, super important. Now, one thing you uh, mentioned to me earlier is that this experience also kind of changed the way you look at money or you kind of look at money different from other people. Is now a good time to kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I, I think so. I mean, I, I um, so I, I, we did extremely well in, in our first company. Yeah. So, so well that I could pretty much do anything I wanted. And I did, you know, I, I, Moved to Austin. I bought the 5,000 square foot house. I bought the Tesla. My wife drove a Range Rover. I mean, we, we were living. You were on the program. That's the program. program. That is the program. And a couple of things happened. One is we lost grace, which, you know, you kind of put you in this position of like, you know, the stuff is not what life is about. You know, there is much more important things to life than, than the stuff. And, you know, a second thing happened, which was, you know, I, I say it's a God thing, but it's so small, but it was so impactful. My wife, like I said, driving a Tesla, you know, $115,000 car. She goes around the curb too fast. And the rims on both wheels on that side of the car were totally scraped up. You know, these rims are 2,500 bucks or something like mm-hmm. that a pop. And I was so pissed that I wouldn't talk to my wife for two days. I was pissed. Yeah. And I can't How could you possibly. I mean, it's not I, that hard to turn, right? I was like, are you kidding me? And now right. we got to do $5,000. I was pissed at her. And I like, right. I came away from that. And one of my quiet times, I felt like the Lord just revealed to me. He's like, Andy, I gave you this incredible woman to be your wife. And you are pissed at her over $5,000 of car damage. Not only are you putting the car above your wife, you're putting the car above me, you know, and I heard that just so loud and clear, you know, and so we sold the Tesla, we sold the, we sold the Range Rover, we sold our 5,000 square foot, you know, house, you know, we're now in half of that square footage with a, you know, you know, an old Tahoe that my kids called the dirty old man because it's always dirty and you know, I, I think a dirty car means you're having fun. You're having fun in it. My wife and my kids disagree with me. But <laughs> um, you know, we've, we've changed our lifestyle and, and it actually like our hearts are way more joyful when we can give $100,000 than when we buy something for $100,000. And I think it's just the, the Lord has like changed our hearts to be givers instead of spenders. And we're human beings. We're not perfect. We don't do it totally right, but we try to, you know, just reorient our, our lives to giving as opposed to keeping or spending. And I think it was grace and, you know, these little kind of moments in life where we kind of like, man, this, this stuff doesn't make us happy. It doesn't make us joyful. And, you know, it gives us way more joy to give to, you know, hope or compassion or 
the local pregnancy center or, you know, whatever it ends up being. Right. And, you know, so we, I I've done a pretty deep kind of scriptural dive on how the Lord wants us to manage our money, you know, and, and kind of looking at it, it's his first and he has given it to us. So ultimately it's his. And so, you know, how do we steward that, you know, really, really well. And, you know, it's, it's still a struggle for me, you know, because you, you read the scripture and you, you hear like, in Luke, Jesus says, woe is the rich for they have received their comfort, you know, and I'm still rich, like by any kind of standard. Right. And so you look at that and you're like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, do you want me to sit out on the corner um, without a house and my kids begging for, for money? Like, I, I don't think that's what you want me to do. I think you've given me some talents and, you know, the parable of the talents is clear. And so you know, but like, how do you do that? And so it's, I still wrestle with it to this day. Like, am I giving enough? Am I not giving enough? Should I have bought that? Should I not have bought that? Knowing a lot of that, the shame of that comes from the enemy and, you know, but still wrestling with, you know, you go through the Sermon on the Mount and it's blessed are all these people who are not rich and happy and comfortable like me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's blessed of all these other people who are struggling and, you know, and, not wealthy and are, you know, fighting for their faith and getting persecuted as such. And so it's like, man, I still struggle with this a little bit, but, you know, at least I've kind of brought that to the Lord and been like, I struggle with this Lord. Like, please help me understand how you allow me to amass all this wealth and then distribute it in a way that glorifies you. I still struggle to this day on, on how to do that better. And, and Alan, you know, and some of the things that he's done and, you know, I've read God and money and I've, you know, read some of Randy Alcorn stuff, like he has placed it on these men's hearts to do the best they can in trying to, you know, direct guys like me to do this better, but I still struggle to, with it to this day. Well, and then, you know, a book that I've been giving away lately is uh, Gospel Patrons. Mm. And because I hang around a lot of people that are evangelists and I'm not great at that necessarily kind of sharing the gospel. I will do it kind of through my story and this sort of thing. But I realized when I was recently, uh, I chaired the least durable board and that kind of thing. And we had a board meeting recently mm. and, and uh, all these guys are talking about evangelism and they're heroes in, in evangelism. And I, and, I, and I gave them all a copy of this, uh, this book, Gospel Patrons, because the people that I think about are the people who fund those movements. Yeah. So those of us in business who may not be as good at going out and being the itinerant evangelist or whatever ministry or great work they're still necessary. Somebody has to be behind them, funding them and encouraging them. And by doing those things, they can also participate in that thing. So it's really just a question of stewardship. It's not a question of guilt about the money, but you're right. The enemy likes to make us feel guilty for it. It's just sure. really a question of seeking him, no matter how much or little you have. We're all in the same position. I had a buddy of mine who did uh, prison ministry and I go, man, how, how do you do the prisons? You know, that sounds tough. Mm. He goes, are you kidding? He goes, your ministry is a lot harder. Go, I go, what do you mean? He goes, hey, in prison, they know they screwed up. They know they need some help. <laughs> he goes, you deal with rich people all day. And they don't think they need any help. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and frankly, rich people need uh, as much or more as, uh, as anybody else. So anyway, I understand the struggle. So I appreciate your uh, sharing that. Now, okay. Now, during this period, you're kind of recovering from this loss in your family. You're working down the budget. By the way, how does your wife feel about that? I mean, that's that's no, no easy task to downsize. Not many people, I mean, frankly, survive the family trauma you had. 
and then you're going to downsize on her. How did you guys have unity about that? If you mind sharing a minute on that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's this joke, right? Like every marriage has a spender and a saver and I'm definitely mm-hmm. the saver and she's definitely the spender. So um, <laughs> it yeah. does make, it does make interesting conversations. I mean, you know, ultimately what I did is I presented her what I felt like scripture was telling us, right. Mm-hmm. Which is not to spend lavishly that, you know, we can get a much, much better return, a thousand fold return on the money that we give to the Lord than, you know, if we were to stick it in our E-Trade account or whatever. And so she ultimately got on board. I mean, she is, you know, a, awesome. a superhero mom, doesn't need a lot, likes a comfortable home, but doesn't need a lot of stuff, doesn't need the Gucci's or the uh-huh. Tiffany's or anything like that, thinks those things are kind of silly. And so I feel like the Lord's worked on her heart too. And I think, you know, for some of the the same reasons with mine. I think Grace had a tremendous impact on her mm. to reorient her of like, okay, what really is important in life? And so, you know, we we still struggle with a bit of a comfort idol. You know, we 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 had so much trauma in the first couple years of our marriage that you know our struggle now is a little bit of a comfort idol. Like we just yeah. want to be comfortable, and so <laughs> bring getting out of our comfort zone is is tough for us. So we continue to put push each other on that, but. It has not been, you know, spending on lots of stuff. So I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, the Lord has touched her heart and said, hey, we don't need all this other, you know, junk that doesn't really make us happy. And I think that's the other part too, right? It's like, once you realize that stuff doesn't make you happy, it's really easy to not buy stuff, right? Um, freeing. It actually, it's, in a it's way. totally freeing, you know, and, and we're, you know, we have two kids now. And there is a pull to buy kids stuff to make them happy, right? And so like you're kind of, it's like a recurring theme that you have to kind of learn over and over and over again. And then we have all this stuff in the playroom and they don't play with it after a week. And they're like, oh yeah, stuff doesn't make us happy for more than a week. And so, you know, the Lord is, again, so just merciful and gracious on us, like to remind us in a way that's like, look, this stuff doesn't make you happy. I'm the ultimate source of joy. And so continue to look at me or look for me in these things. And that's what we've started to do is like looking for the Lord in some of these things. Like, you know, we get, I love fishing. You know, I, I feel like I'm most present with the Lord on the water and I can enjoy, you know, being on my little John boat that I bought, you know, with his money. But he's like, look, if you find joy in me and that, then that's, you know, an okay, you know, expense. And so we're trying to find joy in him as opposed to joy in stuff. And I think we've done you know, uh, I, not us. I mean, the Lord's placed it on our heart that just over the last, you know, five or six years that that's kind of where we've come out. Well, that's just awesome. Now, okay, we come out of this period, this kind of trauma period. You're downsizing. What are you doing kind of professionally in that period? Yeah, so I was I, I was just doing more private equity investing. <laughs> and I was, we were running carrying to term. Um, we were, I was doing some private e- equity investing. I was doing some volunteering with local ministries. Those were kind of our, our core things at that point. I mean, to kind of transition to what I'm, I'm doing, doing yeah. now. Um, that kind of led to this. Right? Yeah. So, you know, I, we, I didn't have health, we didn't have health insurance because I rolled off of my company and right. most of us get health insurance through our company. Right. Well, my little one was having recurring ear infections and so we went to the ear, nose and throat doc who said she needs to get tubes in her ears. You know, many parents out there have gone through the same thing. Right. And so we go to the local hospital, get tubes in her ears is a 15 minute procedure and we get the bill and it was $8,000 for 15 oh minutes. And I'm like, how can this even be possible? 
like $8,000 for 15 minutes. But I was like, look, I have health insurance. That's the whole point. Like that's what health insurance is for. And then the health insurance company that I got it off of healthcare.gov, which was a mistake. They called me and said, medically unnecessary. We're not paying for it. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, I had a stroke a check to the local hospital for eight grand. And I was pretty pissed about it. And so I called my insurance company. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pay your bills if you're not going to pay my bills. Right. Like, so I yeah. quit. So we ended up joining a sharing ministry, which I'm sure many of your folks are, are familiar with. And I, I was like, man, at its core, this is really great. Mechanically, it's kind of really, you know, felt I'm not ripping on sharing ministries. I'm just telling you my experience. It felt like we we're the technology was in the 1990s. Um, and so it was like, can can we do something like that? That the mechanics on the back end are a little bit more efficient. The technology is kind of a modern day tech stack. And so what we've done is built a company called Crowd Health, which in many ways, you know, from 20,000 feet looks like healthcare sharing, but it's more like healthcare crowdfunding. But it's basically an alternative way for people to pay for for their healthcare expenses. Um, and walk us through how that works. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so if you got a problem, how does it get paid for? Right? Is there a premium? How, how does that work? Yeah. So it's it's about two hundred bucks a month, um, and for a family, it's uh, about seven hundred dollars a month. You put that money into an account that we open for you when you sign up. So it's a bank account, FDIC insured. It's yours. You put 200 bucks a month in it. We take 30 bucks of that um, for our fees. The, re- the rest sits in there. And then we will reach out to you and we will say, hey, you know, Jeff has a broken arm. That's $6,000. Um, Jeff's going to pay the first 500 bucks of it. You know, will you help out Jeff in that? So we'll ask 100 people for 55 bucks. And then they will say, yeah, you know, perfect. I'll send money to Jeff or no, I won't send money to Jeff. You know, it's totally voluntary. And so if somebody says no, then we just move on to the next person. And we ultimately will transfer that $5,500 from those people's account to Jeff's account. So he has enough money to pay for his broken arm. Okay. And so you might ask, like, if I had voluntarily could say no, like, why would I say yes to help Jeff? Well, we've got an internal reputation score that says, hey, I asked... Andy or whatever, 10 times. And he said, no, nine out of the 10 times. So I have a reputation score of 10, right? So if I have a health event that I submit to others in the community, they know that I'm a really bad member of the community. And so their probability of funding me goes down significantly, right? So there's this reciprocity engine that drives this internally that makes it voluntary but it really just kind of says, are you a good member of the community? Or are you not a good member of the community? Right. And that will ultimately dictate whether or not you're going to get your, your health bill funded. So we're gamifying this a little bit. And then ultimately, like there is a kingdom piece of this. And it goes back to generosity, which is like, I want to, I feel like um, the government health insurance has gotten in between us and our ability to be generous because you know, health insurance, you just pay your premium and the health insurance plan will pay for Jeff's broken arm, right? In this situation, like I know that Jeff needs the money. I voluntarily give it to Jeff. And we've been doing this for thousands of years where our community will kind of gather around each other. And if you need help, then they'll help, right? 
if you break your arm and you have uh, crops to sow, right, then you, you know, somebody else in your community will come alongside them and help that family with their crops while you're recovering from your broken arm. And I feel like insurance and government and all these other, you know, entities have gotten in the way of that. And so I think they have stolen our ability to be generous to our fellow human beings. Because look, I'll be honest with you, if I drive down the road and I see a, somebody on the side of the road, I'm like, why aren't you on Medicaid? Why aren't you in a homeless shelter that the government pays for? Why aren't you getting the resources that the government can give you and you're still on the side of the road? And in reality, what my heart should be is I'm the, the priest or whatever that walked by you know, the guy on the side of the road, right? I, I should be the Samaritan, but I'm not, right? We all looked at that story and it was like, how can all those people just walk right by? And I was like, I do that every single day, right? And partially because I feel like we've been conditioned by our government and insurance companies and all these kinds of other things to not engage, right? Because they are going to. Um, yeah, this is I, funny. I, I just had a conversation with a guy who's going to be a guest on this show not too long from now. He's kind of a governmental expert. And we were talking about exactly this issue. And he educated me about, he said, in Europe, and I've actually had this happen with uh, European clients. I actually asked a, a client who grew up in Europe, was a European citizen of the EU, and, and, and we talked about generosity. Just that's part of our normal planning process. What do you give to now? What do you plan to give to mm -hmm. in your estate, whatever? And he goes, oh, I don't, I don't really do any giving. I'm from Europe. The government takes care of all takes that. Takes care of all of it. And it was like I had this epiphany of this guy was talking to me because this is a guy that he was uh, in the White House and this sort of thing. And he was saying, you know, it's uniquely American to want to take care of each other that way. I mean, it's probably uniquely, I mean, at least in recent history. I'm sure go back to tribal stuff before Europe and the U.S. existed. I'm sure it was like that. But I think that's a really interesting point and something kind of unique about our country. Would you think that's true to want to care for each other, maybe without the government so much in the middle? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a spectrum, right? I mean, yeah. it's like. The, on the European side, the government takes care of everything. Right. On the on the U.S. side, they take care of some things. Right. Right. And I would love to, you know, I, I I'm not going to get into politics, but I would like to yeah, move yeah. on the side of government taking care of less and people like me and you taking care of more. Right? Okay. And, and that's where I feel like, you know, we can continue to move that direction of us being responsible for the people in the community to get healthcare, to get food, to get shelter, to get all of these things, as opposed to the government doing that. Because yeah, I think, I think they're stealing my ability to be, you know, generous. Really interesting. And, and I would, I'm guessing that the price is lower. I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. End up being a net savings for most people. For sure. Oh right. yeah. I mean, it's, it's out the middle, you know, a bunch of middlemen, right? Yeah. So I, you know, for, for my family, we pay six ninety five a month. For crowd health under healthcare.gov, we paid twelve hundred dollars, and I think our deductible was somewhere like nine or ten thousand dollars for crowd health. I pay seven hundred bucks a month, and then I pay the first five hundred dollars of any health event. So my kid has an ear infection, you know, ear tubes. I pay five hundred bucks. Breaking broken arm, five hundred bucks. And insurance, you know, if my kid breaks an arm, I would pay the first nine thousand dollars of that, and then insurance would would pick it up. You know, the second kind of kingdom component of this is 250,000 families last year went bankrupt, even though they had health insurance due to a health event, right? So you have health insurance and you're going bankrupt because you have a health event. Like that's a problem. You know, the whole point of insurance is if you have a big event, it keeps you from going 
and putting you in financial distress. Health insurance is not doing that because most of us don't have eight or $10,000 sitting in the bank. So when we do have a health event, we're going into bankruptcy. And so you're paying for insurance that's pretty useless. Exactly. So, okay, this is a very, I find this to be a very, one of the things I'm, I try to do is find there's a thread going through here. Okay, so it's really interesting to me. I don't know if you thought about this thread, but you know, you were drawn to a healthcare business, kind of random, maybe. You felt like it was random at the time getting into this business out of out of business school, but it was healthcare related. Mm-hmm. You get you sell it, you get married, you have a this trauma that includes the healthcare system, okay? That the advice was a you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. it's what the world gives, but you kind of went on a counter trend decision there. And now you're trying to help other people. I'm imagining you're funding a lot of that ministry to help other people walk that path that you walked. Okay. Kind of healthcare related. Yeah. You know, and then you get through that trauma and now you're into this business. It seems like there's this thread, man, of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever really thought about that? I never thought I was going to get in healthcare. I kind of hate healthcare. Um, I hate all the bureaucracy around it. I hate which is why it's an opportunity. Which is which is totally why it's an opportunity. And so I'm, you know, I'm looking for spots within healthcare. Actually, the first healthcare company that I got involved in, I got involved because I had four grandparents still alive. They're all in their 80s, and my grandpa fell and had one of these devices. Got stuck between the chair and the wall. And he, if he didn't have a device, he would be dead. Wow. Right. And so he used one of these devices and I was like, this is saving people's lives. Yeah. Right. And so, I, you know, I, I, I want to do something that impacts, has an impact on mm-hmm. people and, you know, in, in a big way. I don't I don't like things. I don't get super excited about things that are incremental. I like I want something that's if it works, if we win, it's going to have a dramatic impact on the people that use it. Um, I think VRI through iPhone and I can't get up. And ultimately, what we did with that company is instead of just being I fall and I can't get up, we put a little Bluetooth sensor in there so that we can start monitoring blood pressure and blood sugars and weights and things like that to be more proactive and keep people from From falling falling. as opposed to being reactive. Right. Right. So that's that's actually where the company really took off is being more proactive. But, you know, it's like, man, how can we, you know, improve people's lives? Um, And I think a part of it is like I had a mom who was a nurse. Right. And so this Ah. helped. This healthcare thing has kind of been in my blood probably from, you know, mom being a nurse and just being, you know, an awesome, awesome mom to us who who cared deeply for us. And so I I think that's kind of where that comes from. So when you kind of think about the allocation of your giving, is a lot of it going toward this nonprofit that you guys founded? Uh, You know, some of it, you know, some of it, I I would say the majority of it goes to our local church. I still mm-hmm. feel like, you know, the local church are really good allocators of, of, of capital. Um, they're much more spiritually mature than I am. So, you know, that, and then a big one is missions. I mean, I think that there's a passion for just, you know, missions within our home and that's what God's placed on our hearts. We give a lot to missions and I just have so much respect for people who can go to a foreign country, not know the language, you know, and it's just like that is just an incredible sacrifice, and you will get crowns in heaven for having done that. And I just have so much respect for those folks. And per what we talked about later, like ultimately, if we want everybody to know Jesus or at least have the opportunity to know Jesus, like there's got to be funders on the back end to do this, right? And I 
kind of gotten to the place of being like, all right, Lord, like you've given me the ability to make money. You know, I won't be shy about that, nor will I be shy about giving it all away to to folks who are on mission for you. And if that's the role you have me playing, then awesome. Like I'm all about it. But it's a heck of a lot easier role than, you know, some of these folks who are in, you know, China trying to, you know, escape, you know, police from, you know, deporting them. Like with four kids, like I'm like, oh my gosh, like how do you but, even but you know what, Andy? As I hear that, I hear what you're saying because I feel the same way. But those people couldn't not do that. They I know. Have to do I that, know. And I they know. cannot do what you do. Like you're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to do another startup. I'll raise capital. I got this business plan. It's really not that big a deal. It's like a clear idea. It's like the most obvious thing ever. To you, what you're doing is obvious, and I mean, I don't want to call it easy, but easier for you than most people because you're kind of made to do this. You can kind of even tell by the way your language and. You're just like, yeah, this is sort of, yeah, the business school, everybody does it. Like you do a business plan, you go raise money, you have a good idea, blah, 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 blah. You know, but those people that are doing that, that work in the mission field, they're like, holy smokes, this is what I'm called to do. I'm so glad that Andy's over there doing that thing. Yeah, no, no idea I, I do hear that. you. Jeff, but here's where I struggle, right? And, and this is a conversation, not so much a podcast, but it's a conversation. It's, it's okay. you know, I got invited to play golf in Hawaii last weekend with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. So I'm sitting there playing golf in this gorgeous five-star resort with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. I didn't pay for it, but you know, I was still there and I'm like, how do I get to do this while other people are, you know, evading the police in, you know, Turkey and China and uh, you know, Madagascar and some of these other places like that I'm we're funding, right? It's like this just doesn't feel right, you know? And so it's what point do you say like Thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to enjoy this to its fullest. Looking out over the sea, it's impossible to not understand that you are real and true and can build something this gorgeous while other people are being, you know, uh, persecuted in other countries. You know, and, and so that's the that's the heart struggle that's with the me. struggle. That's the struggle with me. Right. And so it's just hard for me to grasp at some points. And I think everybody should kind of struggle with it a little bit, you know, and it's at, at least it's a struggle. I mean, I, that's what my pastor says is like, Andy, I hear you, but it's at least it's a struggle for you. Like you continue your heart once it yearns to do what the Lord is asking you to do and continues to ask, like, what do you want me to do with this? You know? Yeah. And by the way, I'm out there on the golf course with Mahomes and Kelsey trying to get them to, to talk about Jesus. Yeah, so, I, knew, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I, had, I, had, I think that's I had, the question. One of the things we always tell people is there's no place in the Bible where it says, here's how much you should spend per year adjust for inflation. Yeah. If you want to be a godly person, he just gives people differently, different zeros. And all he wants us to do is be good stewards and do exactly what you said, which is keep asking him what to do and be obedient. And as long as you keep asking and be obedient, you'll be a good steward and do what he wants to do. And no guilt is required for the zeros. That's We're called to be obedient. Uh, the outcomes are his. And so anyway, be encouraged. But okay, I think we're about out of time. Andy. This has been an awesome mm-hmm. conversation. You know, the one thing we always try to wrap up with is, you know, this is kind of a business owners talking to business owners deal. This isn't really, we don't have a lot of, you know, we will have the occasional consultant, service provider, whatever on, but for the most part, we've got business owner. We're all a bunch of business owners doing this podcast for fun. 
interviewing our buddies like you, who are also business owners. And so we're always thinking about the maybe a little younger you walking down the street who's 30 years old, got a good business kind of going, maybe like what you had before the thing. This thing's kind of ginning up. It's probably going to sell for a pretty good chunk of money. But thinking, you know, I'd really like to be first with this. Where do I even get started? You have some kind of, it doesn't matter what it is, man, whatever kind of God brings to your mind of a practical tip that that person can do tomorrow to just get started in some way, thinking or acting on this. Oh, they're giving? They're giving specifically? Yeah, just around generosity in general. Like, I need to do something. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope everybody's part of a really good church. And so I would talk to your pastor mm. first. And then I would say, you know, I love the folks over at NCF. You know, there's others that are, have, you know, donor advised funds and things like that. But like, I really, truly feel like the NCF people, at least from my experience, have been awesome in helping me think through that. You know, there's a bunch of, of really good books out there. I would say God and Money is a great one. I really enjoyed that one. And then the Randy Alcorn's, I'm going to mess up the title, but it's something like Money, Possessions, and Eternity or something like that. Yeah, the shorter version is the Treasure Principle. Yeah, those are awesome to help you kind of think through how to steward your your money. Or, you know, look, I'm happy to to talk through, you know, how I think through it too. So Andy at joincrowdhealth.com, email me, and I'm happy to kind of walk you through some of my struggles with it. Well, man, you've been super generous. And uh, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on the uh, Generous Business Owner Podcast. Uh, We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.